Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Danny Phillips speaks on the goodness of God. Give Jesus one more good hand clap, if you would. Man. What a powerful environment in here, I'll tell you. I was telling them um, during the first service when I got up after worship, I mean, my whole body was trembling under the power of God. And I know what Paul meant when he told the Corinthians, uh, the church at Corinth, that when he stood before them, He said, I did not come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration and the power of God. But he said, I stood there in weakness and fear and much trembling. And man, I know what it's like to stand before people under the anointing and your whole body shaken from the power of the Holy Ghost. And you know, I said this too, but it's still true nonetheless. You don't have to feel God to know that he's or to believe in him, but I'm sure glad that you can. Let me try that one more time. I said, I know that you don't have to feel God to believe in him, but I'm sure glad that you can. We may walk by faith and not by sight, but man, the same spirit, according to Romans 8, that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken or make alive your mortal body. And I feel life in my being this morning. If you do too, put your hands together and honor God. Amen. To tell you this quick story, the Lord just quickened this to me. Where I live at in Clinton, I live on top of a very steep hill. And uh, so I have a co-worker, uh, Brother Travis, here this morning. If I ever call in when it snows and say, I can't, you know I'm right about it. (laughs) I mean, I live on a big old hill. And, uh, you know, I like to get out and walk and exercise. And I don't do it because I have to or feel like I have to. I do it because I want to. It makes me feel good. And I like to get out and walk and pray in tongues, pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the Spirit. And uh, God deals with me. And when, I, when it gets closer to hunting season, I kind of up the walking. And so uh, I quit walking the flat ground and start walking the hills. Because if you're going to hunt in East Tennessee, carry a tree stand on your back, a gun, a bu- layers of clothes, you better have some breath in your lungs. Because it'll jerk the wind out of you, I promise you. And so I get where I walk that hill. And I mean, it's straight up and it is long. And one day I had this idea I was going to run up that hill. Now, just FYI, I know my bald head may tell different, but I'm 47. This was probably about four or five years ago, something like that. So I was in my early 40s and it'd been a while. And I don't, I love to walk, but I hate running. I don't like to run, especially on the pavement. But I just had this bright idea that I was going to run up that hill. And buddy, about the time I made it about halfway up, I mean, I was sucking wind bad. It was, it was bad. And I just kept pushing and pressing. And all of a sudden, that scripture came to me out of the book of Job, where Job said, I will see God in my mortal body. 
Man, when that word came to me, I felt the spirit of God quicken me and I got a second wind and I run right on up to the top of that hill. I'm telling you, man, God can do some powerful things in your body if you will let him do it. Amen? Amen. So I'm thankful this morning for the anointing and the presence of God. And I'm thankful for a people that when they assemble, they will bring God praise. You know, we use this scripture all of the time in the midst of praise and worship, but the Bible said that he inhabits the praise of his people. And when you find a people that is willing to throw up their heart and throw up their hands in worship, God's going to move into it. Amen. Let me try that one more time. That means help me out. I said, when you find a people that's willing to throw up their hearts and their hands, God is going to move right in the middle of it. When you throw up your hands, it's a sign of surrender. And there's been a time or two in my life, believe it or not, I had to throw up my hands because I was surrendering to a different authority. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> we won't talk about that. Uh, but uh, I'm thankful that today that I can lift up my heart and lift up my hands to the highest authority in heaven and in earth because I know as I surrender to him that he has nothing but good things for me. And that's the same for you. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're so good to see you. It's so good to see you this morning. We're so glad that you're here. And again, for our first-time visitors, put your hands together. Let them know how much you appreciate them. We're glad that they're here. I see some friends of mine in the room. So grateful that you came. My dad and uh, Miss Sherry is here, his wife, and uh, so grateful that they're here with us this morning. My dad goes to our family church uh, that I grew up in that actually my grandfather, Pat, was he there 25 years, Dad? Is that right? Is that how long he passed through Laurel Branch? 25 years. What's that? 35 years. My, my grandfather was a very well-known, very notable in this area, Baptist pastor, and such a tremendous man of God who he's went on to be with the Lord. And uh, so dad goes to our family church there. It's at the foot of the mountain. Y'all know where New River is, one, up 116? It's at the foot of, of the mountain in what they call Bryceville. And uh, I call it Bryce Vegas. But uh, anyways, uh, hey, some good country mountain people come from Bryceville. And so my family came from off of that mountain, but my grandfather pastored there for many, many years. And uh, so I come from a rich legacy of people who love God. And I'm so thankful for that and glad that my dad is with me here this morning. If you're ready for the word, say amen. 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 Well, the first service was wonderful and awesome and wish everybody could be at the room all the time and the same time. But I know parking and other things, logistics hinder us from that. And uh, some of you may not know, but pastor and a lot of the team and I'll tell you, Shannon and I, we was talking, we was thinking, hmm, I wonder who's going to do worship. I mean, we knew it would be good. We never second-guessed that. We was thinking, wonder who's going to lead worship this morning. And what a blessed house. This, I mean, I'm always like, what? When, when two teams are gone, you got another one get up, and it's just another level of glory that we got. I mean, it's just so powerful. And I don't know, and I hope that means a lot to you, but if you could get on an airplane with me from time to time, it would mean a whole lot more. <laughs> I promise you that. It would mean a whole lot more. And, uh, and of course, you know, you can talk about anybody in the South as, uh, that you want to as long as you preface it by saying God bless their heart. <laughs> 
But God bless their heart. There is so many places that Shannon and I, we have set in and about halfway through the worship. And of course, Pastor Michael uh, traveling around with me some, he's got a good dose of this now. Look over at each other and think, Lord Jesus, help us in this place. And so from time to time, I get to preach in places that, that have energy like this, but uh, there is a lot, a lot of places out there that don't have what we have here. And I don't say that so that we can walk around with our chest stuck out, you know, thinking that we're bigger and better and badder than anybody else. I only say that to remind you to be extremely grateful for the local church that God has called you into. I'll take a text here in a minute, but I'm saying something now if you're hearing me. Because by the way, we don't go to church where we want to go to church if we're following the Spirit. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 12 that God sets the members in the body as it pleases Him, not them. Boy, I, I didn't even get one amen on that right there. So. <clears throat> I'm in the book. God sets the members in the body as it pleases Him, not them. Some people try out churches like they do coats and wonder why they're not fed and disgruntled and sad and mad and everything else. We got to be plugged in to where God wants us. Yeah. And uh, just a little bit about the history. For I came here, we knew uh, months before we actually was able to get here. I was interim pastor in a church over in Coryton. And uh, once we finally got a leader in there, uh, we very quickly made our way here. And because we knew God had called us to this place. Yes. He called us here. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the place where God has called me to because that's the place that has, or one of the places that has the key to your destiny. Being with the right people at the right place at the right time helps unlock the destiny uh, that God has for your life. And if you believe it, say amen. And so we're glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm here. And I'm very honored this morning to be sharing the word of the Lord. I don't have uh, a lot of opportunity to share the word, uh, the word of the Lord locally. And I don't mean that just in regards to redemption, uh, but I mean that in this area in general. I travel a lot, and it seems that there's more of, a sign, of an assignment on me uh, to preach and speak extra locally than there is locally. But man, who knows what God will do? That may change some. So we're just going to flow with God. Amen? Amen? All right, praise God. Uh, in the first service, we was talking about the goodness of God, and I want to stay in that vein uh, this morning, my heart is just full of the word of the Lord. And, you know, I, I, I take notes. I try to set a timer on my phone just to be somewhat uh, conscious of, of time and schedule and all of that kind of stuff. But my heart is so full of the word of the Lord that I'll do my best to just flow in the anointing and speak what God has on my heart to speak. But if you would give me my first set of scriptures, I got a piece of gum I need to get rid of for somebody on this front row is wearing it. <laughs> I'm one of them spitting kind of preachers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hanky waving, somebody ought to say something kind of preacher, you know. Come on. Amen. Yeah, can I tell you something else just real quick before we take a text? And we, we don't have as much time constraint with the second service. Begin. I'll be mindful and honorable with time, but uh, I kind of got a kick out of this. Pastor Michael, maybe not so much on surface level, but... A couple of weeks ago, he and I, as most of you probably know, we were in Canada. 
And uh, on our way back through, we stayed in Buffalo, New York. Um, as a result of where we were in Canada, we flew into Buffalo. Uh, the pastor sent somebody to get us, carried us across the border into Ontario. We did our meetings there. And so, of course, we got to fly back out of Buffalo. And of course, I blessed us with an early flight. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had to be at the airport like at five o'clock. And uh, I don't know that Pastor Michael was so blessed by it, but uh, I had some business I needed to get about with the county. And so anyways, I needed to get home and it worked out perfect for Pastor Michael because he got in right at the time they started staff meeting. But uh, <laughs> we was in the motel. We stayed in a, a motel close to the airport where we could be shuttled over to the airport. And he and I, we were going to the elevator and um, we was getting ready to go to our rooms and all of that. And Pastor Michael, he looked over and he see the indoor swimming pool. And uh, he said, man, I, and, and I don't know if this is verbatim, but you'll catch my drift here. He said, man, I meant to bring my swimming trunks. And I just kind of chuckled. I said, swimming trunks? And I kind of laughed a little bit and I said, brother, it's a wonder you and I get, get along so good. I said, we are so different. And he, he didn't know quite how to take that. And I didn't mean it. Kinda, I kind of feel like I hurt his feelings. And I thought, man, I didn't mean that like that. I said, I would have never thought about bringing a pair of swimming trunks. Because you know, Pastor Mike, he's adventurous. It, it, I am not. I mean, adventurous to the point that you're subject to be three hours opposite the direction you're going in on a beach somewhere chasing wild horses. That kind of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about if you was here a few weeks ago. And I said, we, we are so different. And uh, of course, I just kind of got a chuckle out of it. I, I don't think about bringing swimming. Of course, y'all seen these legs right here. You'd understand why. And, um, you know, all these Holy Ghost, Pentecostal, Holy, y'all not wear shorts of lust. Well, you lust over these legs. You got bigger problems than lust. I promise you that. But anyway, it's just, we're, we're different. We're, we're just so different. And I'm trying to behave up here. And I'll take a text here in a minute. But pastor, I start out with a little humor. So I thought I might as well too. Uh, but, and I've been saying this a lot. As I, I get up to preach, you know, when you, you survey the creation of God, and we're, we're going to talk about the creation here in a moment, what you discover is that God is a God of variety and diversity. Just alone, consider all the different fish in the sea. You can, you, you can see, it's easy to see that He's a God of diversity and variety. As much as less, all of the color schemes in nature. Man, we live in a beautiful place in the fall, right? Yeah. And so when you look at all the color schemes of nature, uh, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, what about mankind? Different skin colors, right? So if you cut us, we all bleed the same because Acts 17, 26 says, out of one blood came all nations of men. Man, I mean, the Bible is so powerful. It teaches us everything. And, uh, but we have different skin colors, and that's indicative of the fact that God is a God of diversity and variety. Now, I said all that to say this, we would be deceived to think that's true of everything in God's creation in order other than the church. If that's true with everything else, it's also true in the church. Now, it's important to understand this because this will help you posture your heart to receive. You remember what uh, Paul likened the church to in 1 Corinthians 12? The body of Christ. 
And he would say things like your ear can't say to your eye, or your hand, whatever, I have no need of you. How many of you would agree your ear and your eye, they don't look nothing alike. They have two total different functions, but they are a necessity in order for your body to function properly. Paul said, this is the church. He said in Ephesians chapter number four that he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of the faith. And then he said this, unto a perfect man. Everybody say a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word perfect there doesn't mean flawless. None of us will ever be flawless, but what it means is complete or mature. And so God gave us five total different ministry gifts. Why? To edify us, to build us up, to stir us up. But here's the big thing, to grow us up. You know what that tells me? If you're only willing to feed from one gift that preaches like you, sings like you, dances like you, shouts like you, worships like you, then there's a pretty good chance you're not going to end up in the place God called you to end up. And me and Pastor Michael, we don't teach alike. We don't speak alike. Our, thought, uh, the, our train of thought is a little bit different, but that don't make him, he or I, lesser than or greater than. We're just different than. And that's everything in the order of the creation of God. So you need to posture your heart to receive regardless of the individual given the word, as long as it's the word. If it don't just fit your model of what the gift ought to be, that don't necessarily mean it ain't God. All right, look at, look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready to receive. The goodness of God, the goodness of God. All right, if you would, first set of scriptures. We're, we're going to read about three different scriptures uh, for text's sake, and then we will launch out from there. First, uh, Psalms chapter 119, verse 38. Establish or establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach which I fear. Now watch this last line, which is what I want to key in on. For thy judgments are good. Now there's a lot of talk about the goodness of God in the church world, but we don't hear a whole lot of talk about God's judgments being good. But according to King David, even the judgments of God, they are good. If you believe it, say amen. Next set of scriptures, please. Or scripture, I believe Romans 2, 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Not the meanness of God, not the hatefulness of God, not him dangling you over hell with gasoline underwear. That's not what brings you to repentance. Just kind of making sure y'all are plugged in there. That's not what brings you to repentance according to the Bible. What brings you to repentance is the goodness of God. Put that thought on the back burner. We'll, we'll get it in a minute. Next set of scriptures. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now look at verse 31. 
And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day in Genesis 2, 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. And the scripture teaches us that God rested on the seventh day from all of his labor. His work had ended and God did not rest because he was tired. God rested because he was finished. He did not rest because he was tired. God rested because he was finished. When you survey the creation story, you don't get very far into it. It don't take you very long to see that God is good. When you look at the creation story, which is primarily in the book of Genesis, after each and every consecutive day that God would mold and shape, he would create a man at the end of it. But till you get to that point, he's speaking to the creation. And after each and every consecutive day of creation, God would look at that creation and he would make the declaration that it was good. But when you get to the sixth day and you looked at the finished product of everything God made, he said that right there is very good. And then Genesis 2 verse 1 teaches us that thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. Now, I love this right here that God takes what he calls very good, which is the sum total of his creation, but that also includes the new creation man that he made Adam, and he puts him in this finished work. Now, the reason that's important is John 19, verse 30, Jesus makes this declaration hanging on an old rugged cross that it is finished. And then you couple that with 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation, the NIV and other translations say. So God takes us, once we're born again, a new creation man, and he puts us in the finished product. Now, the reason that's important and one of the reasons we see the goodness of God in the creation is because anything that God would create that would have a need he always put the provision for that need out in front of the need. In other words, before God created a cow, he first created grass. So before that cow would ever need grass, uh, God made the provision or gave the provision for that need because there is nothing in the creation story, including you and I, that would ever have a need that God hasn't already went out in front of us and provided that need. What's that mean? You may be looking at something where there is shortage, but you got to realize that God has already, God has already supplied the provision. The problem is not on God's end. The problem is us accessing what's already there. It is finished. God takes every new creation man and puts him in more than enough. Think about this. You've got Adam and Eve, the only two people at this point in human history uh, in the planet. They have more than enough. There is nothing that they have need of outside of the finished product of what God had provided and what he's already done. And I just want to remind you, there's nothing that you have need of outside of what Jesus has already done in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's it's not just enough, it's more than enough. Come on. 
I need a preaching church in here. That's why we see scriptures like unto him, not who's just able to do above, but exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. There is no need that you have that God hasn't already provided in Christ. We just got to learn how to access. If you believe it, say amen to this. So everything that would have a need, God provided. I love Genesis 121 because I'm a fisherman. Uh, the Bible said in Genesis 121, that God created the whales or the great fish. But before he did, he created in Genesis 1 verse 20, he speaks to the waters and he says, let the waters bring forth abundantly. Notice there's no shortage in the creation story. And I don't know why, I just feel uh, just really compelled to labor around that idea because I feel like that there's some people in the room, you got a shortage mentality. I said, you got a shortage mentality. Let, let me announce to you, there should have never been poverty in this earth. There should have never been poverty in this earth. The only reason poverty ever came into this earth is because man made a dumb choice. It ain't God's fault. And even though we have an adversary called the devil, it wasn't even really his fault. It was that somebody listened to what he had to say and brought a curse in the earth. And along with that curse is shortage and poverty and less than enough. Come on, but God wants you living in more than enough. God wants you living in exceeding abundant. You know that there, I got it. You know, I'm kind of like one of those rabbit chasing preachers. There is this sect in the body of Christ who believes it's spiritual to be broke and poor. What'd you say? That's the absolute truth. We would use the word dumb, but in, if we looked at it from a biblical perspective, it's actually ignorant. And I know we, we view that term or that word as something being ugly, but it's a biblical term that means unlearned. It's different than stupid. <laughs> That's an ugly word, right? Uh, but he uses the word, and there is people that are so unlearned when it comes to the principles of God. They, they believe that it's spiritual to be in poverty and shortage. Let me announce this to you. Jesus did not walk this planet broke. Let me try that one more time. Jesus did not walk this planet broke. The reason, that this is a pretty good chance, the Bible don't teach uh, this chapter and verse, but just kind of reading into it, there's a pretty good chance the reason you never see him take a public offering, which you know he had to have some loot because he had a treasurer that was stealing from him. So you know he had to have some loot. But one of the reasons you probably never see him take a public offering is because when we think he was a little baby in a manger, but more than likely at this time he was a toddler, there was some wise men that showed up that loaded him down with gifts. We think there was three of them because they brought three gifts, but those guys traveled in crews. Uh, in caravans. So when they showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, there's a pretty good chance that Jesus' family got loaded down because God don't put anybody in the earth to fulfill his purpose and not give them the provision to fill the pur fulfill the purpose. If I can say it to you this way, where God guides, he provides. And God don't put his sons and daughters in a place of shortage and less than most of the time through dumb decisions we put ourselves there. Yeah. 
Man, I got things in my heart right now that is so big that, that, that I have to have a big God to do it. It's so big that I have to have a big God. And, and one of the reasons I'm believing it's God is because there's no way in the natural I can make it happen. <laughs> if your dream or your vision can be fulfilled in human strength, sweat, labor, and effort, there's a pretty good chance that ain't God. And the reason that won't be God is because if you can do it yourself, when it gets done, you're going to rear back like a hammer on a Winchester and say, well, look what I've done. But God does this thing where he sets it up where there's no way in the natural we can do it on our own. That way, when we get to the end of it and it's done, we have to rear back and say, look what the Lord has done. Anything you look at in the creation story you see the goodness of God due to the fact that he never creates anything to live in shortage. That's a good daddy. That's a good God. Amen. 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 Now, we read a scripture over in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I've got to shift gears here for time's sake. We read a scripture in Romans 2, verse 4, where the Bible teaches us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And a lot of us in this room grew up in a church culture where it wasn't the goodness of God that led us to an altar or a place of repentance, but it was the meanness of God. It was the hatefulness of God. God's always mad and angry and upset, and you better do this or that's going to happen. And brothers and sisters, let me be real clear. I believe God is holy, I believe he's righteous, and I believe he's just. And like Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's holy and righteous and just. But here's what I've discovered through personal relationship with him, that he ain't nowhere near as upset as what I have grown up believing that he was. He ain't nowhere near as angry and mad and hacked off uh, as I grew up believing that he was. As a matter, and I told this to him in the first service, you know, if we, if, 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 if God was really out to get us, considering he's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time at the same time, if that was the case, if he was out to get us, there's a pretty good chance we'd done be God. There's a pretty good chance that God knows your address. Pretty good chance that he knows where you live. God's out to get you, all right, because he wants to love you. He wants to help you. He wants to be good to you. He wants to bless you. So don't run from God. You ought to just ride, run right on to him because his goodness is there to help you. If you believe it, say amen. But Paul teaches us in Romans 2, 4, it ain't the meanness, the hatefulness, the nastiness of God that brings us to a place of repentance, but rather it's the goodness of God. Now, the word repentance is more than just guilt, compunction, coming to an altar and squalling your eyes out because you're sorry. It does uh, somewhat carry that connotation, but in the purest sense, in the purest form, the word repent or repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind, to make an about face, to turn. Everybody say turn. It'll make God's goodness will cause you to, to turn but it will cause you to change your mind. 
King James, the word that's used in the King James language in Romans 2, 4, that it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. The word leadeth is the Greek word ego. Ago means to bring, to carry, to drive. But it's denoting a pathway that's set forth. So notice what that scripture is saying. That it's the good, when you put those words together, that scripture is teaching us that it's the goodness of God that creates a pathway to a brand new way of thinking. Let that settle in. Because see, once you begin to discover God is good, it changes the lens in which you view life, especially in the midst of bad situations. Because it's easy to believe that God is good as long as everything's going good. Amen? It's easy to believe that God is good when the kids are right, the money's right, the marriage is right, the ministry's right, everything's all right. But what about the goodness of God in the midst of all hell breaking out around you? Have you not ever noticed that those are the times that the enemy will use that subtle, uh, sneaky voice to come in to try and bring accusations against the goodness of our Father to try and convince you that God isn't good because you're in the midst of going through a little something-something. But brothers and sisters, my Bible says in Hebrews 13 verse 8 that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He does not change. What's that mean? God is good in the good times and he's good in the bad. God is good in the sad times and he's good in the joyful times. He's good up on the mountain. He's good when we find ourselves down in a low spot. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God's goodness does not waver based upon our circumstances. And when you get a real revelation that God is good in the midst, that revelation in the midst of hell will carry you on through it. So the goodness of God creates a lens, a different lens for us to view life. We see life differently when we see God is good, especially in the midst of hard times. And the reality of it is because there is a curse still at work in this earth, all of us in the room from time to time have a bad time. Come on, I've walked through stuff. You've walked through stuff. We all have a song we could sing. We all have a testimony of bad things that have come into our life. And some of it comes as a result of dumb choices. Probably the majority of it comes as a result of dumb choices, dumb decisions. But sometimes life offers you licks that you never asked for nor wanted to participate in. And oftentimes that's connected to people around us that are close to us, especially if it's people you're in covenant with that make dumb choices. They can bring you into some bad situations, but do not waver on the fact ever that God is good. We talked about Joseph just a little bit. I'll just hit this real quickly and we'll, we'll shift gears. I kind of feel a little bit of a different vein in here uh, for the second service. But we talked about Joseph, how that he was sold out by his brothers. Y'all remember they threw him in a pit because they were jealous over him and the love that his father had for him and the favor that his daddy gave him and cold of many colors, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so his brothers threw him in a pit. And then comes along his cousins, the Ishmaelites, and they sell him out to his cousins. I don't know how you feel about a thing, but brothers and sisters, they ain't no greater betrayal than family betrayal. There's no greater hurt than family hurt. There's nobody 
And y'all just have to take your religious halos off and shake your head amen this way. They ain't nobody that can get on your nerves any quicker than family can. Shannon, quieten down back there. Calm down, calm down. Family, people that are, we are covenantally connected to can rub us the wrong way the quickest. And so there's no deeper or greater hurt than family hurt, especially family betrayal. See, I think oftentimes we read these stories in the Bible and we really don't view them through the lens that these were real live people living in a real historical context that hurt, that felt, that bled, they died, they lived. These are real life people just like you and I sitting in this room today. Can you imagine Joseph down in that deep cistern, that well or that pit that they dropped him into? It's dark, it's damp, maybe who knows what's in the pit with him and his brothers, the people that should have been the one helping him and loving him and, and rejoicing at the blessings that his father was giving him. They should have been the, loud, the quickest to rejoice. And the scripture teaches us to rejoice with those that... Re Can you imagine the pain in his heart? And then comes along... Uh, then here comes his cousins. Well, praise God, my cousins are going to deliver me. Nope, they're going to up the ante on the bondage right here. So they take him and sell him to the Egyptians. And when they sell him to the Egyptians, he ends up in a house that is owned by a man by the name of Potiphar, who is one of the, the big acts of Egypt. He's one of the, the top dogs. He's Pharaoh's right-hand man. And, and Joseph finds favor there until Pharaoh's wife gets sweet on him. And so she makes all of these advancements toward him and, and his heart is such that I cannot sin against myself and I cannot sin against my master and I will not sin against God. And so as a result of doing the right thing and rejecting her advancements, she wasn't very happy about that. And the last time she tried to advance on him, she came on so strong that he took off running out of the house and so she grabbed his garment and it tore the garment off of him. So when her husband come home, she said, hey, this Hebrew you have brought in my house has shamed us. He has shamed me because he's tried to come on to me and right here's his clothes to prove it. Well, guess what Potiphar does? Potiphar puts him in the prison. And so I heard it preached that Joseph was pitted, petted, and potted. <laughs> he was pitted by his brothers petted by Potiphar's wife or potted by Potiphar and petted by his wife. It's almost a tongue twister there, isn't it? But thank God he ended up in the palace. And there's some things we go through in life that were pitted, potted, and petted, but the design of it by God is Romans 8, 28 that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. I'm not saying that God sent the heartache. I'm not saying that God sent the tribulation, but you better know he's going to use it for your good. You better know he's going to use it for your betterment. You better know that he's going to use it to get you from point A to point B. What about old Jonah, man? Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. He goes directly 
opposite and he ends up in a well, but the design of that well was to bring Jonah to a place of repentance that by the time that well spit him out, he said, I'm running straight to Nineveh. Come on. Hard times in our life has a way of waking righteousness up in us to say, you know what? I may have been walking opposite of the will of God and the purpose of God, but I'm headed there wide open now. Woo, praise God. But Joseph makes this incredible statement that I believe is prophetic for us today in Genesis 50, verse 20. After years had passed, his brothers is standing in front of him. And they don't know who he is because he's disguised himself. And Joseph sits in a place where he could exercise some harsh judgment. He could exercise payback and retribution if he wanted to. But he makes this incredible statement in Genesis 50 verse 20 that what you meant for evil, God turned it for the good and the purpose was to save much people alive. Could it be what you're going through ain't all about you? Let me try that one more time. I'm gonna come over on this side of the church. I believe I'm getting a little bit more help over here. Could it be, I told you I'm one of those somebody else say something kind of preachers. Could it be that what you're going through ain't all about you? Could it be that God wants to you? Thank you. <laughs> Could it be that God wants to you? Again, I'm not saying he caused it. I'm not saying he, God never desires. Man, I feel the preacher on me, hook up with me in here. God never desires to be the source of our pain. He only desires to be the source of our pleasure. Yeah. No good father wants to see his child suffer. There is nothing in me that wants to see Carter Joe suffer. Yeah. Nothing in me. Can I tell you a quick story right here? Yeah, sure. Shannon, a few years ago, was gone to the country of Belize on a mission trip. And uh, when was this, Shannon? 2000 what? Were you? 2000, 2020. So little Joe, she would have been, uh, she's 12 now, so she would have been nine, right? Nine years old. So she's gone on a mission trip. So it's me and Carter Joe at the house. And uh, <clears throat> so I'd hit, Carter was in her room and I'd headed downstairs. And uh, as I started down the steps, it was the craziest thing. I got down to the bottom of the steps and the spirit of God rose up in me and said, you need to go back upstairs. And so I just spun around. And I, went, I knew it was God. I spun around and I went up the steps and I just felt directed to walk straight into her room. And I walked in her room and I guess she heard me coming. And when I entered into the room, she pulled the covers over her head. She's laying in the bed and pulled the covers over her head. I said, Carter, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> That's the way she said it too. Carter Joe, what's wrong? I mean, I knew on the inside something was way off. Carter Joe, what's wrong? Nothing. I said, well, pull the covers down then. She pulled the covers down and she had this headband on around her head. And I said, Carter Joe, what's up? I, I, something's off here. What's wrong? And she started weeping and she pulled that headband down. And right here, she took a pair of scissors and cut a big old patch of hair out of, right out of the front of her head. Now I'm talking about this. This can't be fixed with a haircut kind of 
thing. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, it kind of looked like Carter and, and still kind of does, but I don't know if she probably cut it out, but not as bad now. Like she had a little, I used to have a cowlick, used to is the key word. Some of you, some of y'all, some of y'all fussing about your hair turning gray and here I'm, mine's turning loose. So I don't even want to hear it, but uh, dad say amen to this. Uh, but she had cut this hunk of hair out of her head and she was weeping, weeping. Now, that may not seem like nothing to you, but to a nine-year-old little girl who has to go to school that way. But here's the bigger thing. Mommy's going to kill me. And I'm thinking, Mommy's going to kill me too. Where was I at? How did this happen? But here's what broke my heart. She was just weeping. She said, I'm such a bad kid. Man, when she said that, I sat down on the bed beside her and I started weeping. I mean, it broke my heart to see her hurt like that over a bad haircut. <laughs> the point is, as a father, it broke me to see her in that kind of pain. How much more for our heavenly father? When we hurt, when we suffer, what about even when we're getting it wrong? God don't take no pleasure smoking us because we got it wrong. There's a scripture in the book of Corinthians that says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. But then it says this, that the weakness of God is stronger than man. And he hit me one day. God has a weakness. He has a weakness, God. It didn't take me long to figure out what his weakness is. His weakness to the point that he would rather send his son to die for you than live forever without you. That's the heart of our father who has been misportrayed. The Bible said in the book of Isaiah that his visage was marred more than the sons of men. And I believe that's because he was beaten beyond recognition on the cross. That's the natural statement of it. But spiritually speaking, especially preachers have so marred his vision that the true image of God is unrecognizable to people. Because the true image of God is not mean and hateful and nasty and out to get you. The true image of God is that he is a good, good father that so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's the true image of God and a good father. So don't ever allow the enemy to convince you in the midst of bad times that your father is not good. Jesus paid way too high of a price to contradict that. Now, let's ask this question and hopefully answer this question. Let's unplug right here. What about the goodness of God in light of judgment? Again, we hear lots of talk about the goodness of God in the church, and rightly so. But what about talking about God's goodness in the midst of judgment? And we read a scripture that when I first got hold of the scripture, I thought, whoa, Psalms 119 verse 39, where David said, if anybody knew about the judgment of God, David knew. Because we look at these characters as, in the Bible that they just floated around on a cloud, you know, and like they were somehow different than us. But again, they felt what we felt and all of that kind of stuff. And, and they had mistakes and habits and, 
and hang-ups hang and they were flawed. When you look at that crew Jesus picked to represent him to the world, it's like, what? You couldn't have done better than that. You know I'm but he did that on purpose. Just like he uses, I, uses you and I on purpose. And God don't use us because of us. Oftentimes he uses us in spite of us. But what about the goodness of God in the midst of judgment? David knew something about it. This is somebody who committed adultery. This is somebody who sent the woman he committed adultery with, her husband Uriah, to the front lines of battle and ended up getting him killed. I mean, this is a man who made some major mistakes. This is a man, when you read the book of Psalms, he's up one day, down the next. Happy one day, glad the next. Talking about the mercy of God one day and praying God would smoke his enemies the next. You read the book of Psalms? You need to recheck it because he was a man. You know, the Bible said this about Elisha uh, or Elijah, that he was a man of like passions. But yet he could pray and shut the heavens up. You know what that means? It's not necessarily a positive thing. He was a man of like passions. That means that he's like, he was like you and I. They didn't float around on a cloud. These were real life people Live people living in a historical context. So was David. And he made this declaration that even God's judgments, they are good. Yes. Matthew 12, 18 through 20, uh, John the Baptist declaring about Jesus that his judgments brings us forth unto victory. Now imagine that. That even the dealings of God or what we call the judgments of God are never meant for our detriment. It's meant to bring us to a place of greater victory. I don't know about you, but I'm going to walk in some victory. I said, I'm going to walk in some victory. We need a victorious church. We need a victorious church because a sad, tore up, broke down, always going through something, dragging you live kind of church has no witness, has no power, and is no example. We need a victorious church. And even God's judgments are good to bring us to that place of victory in our life. So we prove it, we pattern it. Let's see a picture of it. Exodus 6, verse 6. The children of Israel are in Egyptian bondage. And, I, I, and for time's sake, I won't get into a lot of the historical backdrop, but we view this picture of them being in bondage, that they were there the four, whole 430 years. But when you read it real closely, what you discover is that they really wasn't in bondage till probably the last few generations. And the reason they were in bondage uh, the last few generations is because there was a Pharaoh that rose up that knew not Joseph. In other words, somebody lost some influence in the land. And when there is a loss of influence in the land, bondages can creep in. Hence, a prophetic warning to our nation. We cannot be losing influence as the church. We need to be gaining influence because if we allow a loss of influence among God's people, they can do things like take prayer out of school and all kind of stuff we could talk about that is bondages for God's people. Somebody lost influence, so it led to bondage. They didn't always have it bad. That's why you see in the wilderness, they want to go back a lot of times because there was a time in Egypt they had it good. But at this particular time, they didn't have it so good, so they start crying out to God. God sends them, raises up a deliverer, and sends that deliverer to them by the name of Moses. And as they're crying out, and, and God's dealing with Moses, and God had heard their cry, and he has a plan of deliverance for them, and you, by the way, 
Here's what God says in Exodus 6, 6. He says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage. Now watch this right here. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. Notice, God said, I'm going to use my judgment for redemptive purposes. How can we say that the judgment of God is good? Because we see right here, he's going to use it redemptively. Exodus 7 verse 4 almost uses the same language. He's going to bring them out with some great judgments. But watch this right here in Exodus 12, 12, our last scripture we're unplugging. Exodus 12 verse 12. Here's the process of the deliverance for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. Now I will smite all of the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. Now notice this line right here. This is what really got in my spirit and got my attention. And against all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now notice this. It wasn't necessarily against the people of Egypt. It wasn't even really necessarily directed at Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, when the death angel passed over, the house that the death angel passed over was those who had applied the blood. And there must have been some Egyptians who applied the blood because there was a mixed multitude amongst the children of Israel that went out with them. You didn't have to be an Israelite to apply the blood. Anybody who applied the blood as that death angel passed over, what it said to the death angel is that, or what it said to the death angel is that there has already been a death exacted here I could pass on by. And brothers and sisters, even when there's some bad things coming to the land, God sends us prophetic voices to warn us to get into a certain position so that whatever is coming, we don't have to suffer the blow nor the brunt of it. And it would be the same for the Egyptians or Pharaoh if they would have hearkened to the voice of God. But they didn't. God said, I'm going to show up and I'm going to bring deliverance and I'm going to do it with a great judgment. But I want you to understand my heart toward people. This ain't necessarily directed at people. This is directed against the gods of Egypt. Now here's why that's significant. The Egyptian people, were, uh, they were a polytheistic people. In other words, they served many gods. Where the children of Israel was instructed in the great Shema or Shema in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, for the Lord thy God is one. One God, one God only. They knew that. But when you read Ezekiel 20 and read the account of them back in Egyptian bondage, what you discover is that they got sucked in to the same religious system that the Egyptians were worshiping in. And so they were deceived by it and, and they were stuck in the same system that the, that the Egyptians were stuck in and God couldn't have that because one of the first and the greatest is you have no other gods before me nor do you bow down to any other graven image. And so God said, all right, here's what we're going to do and here's how we're going to deal with it. I'm going to come through here tonight and I'm going to exact some judgment so I can show you that there's one God, one true God only, and here's why, out of all of these different gods, one of the main gods they served was a god called Amun-Ra. 
Amun-Ra was the sun god. And God said, if you believe Amun-Ra is the one who causes the sun to rise and set, I'm going to give you a plague of darkness. Geb, the God of the earth. If you believe that Geb is the one who blesses this earth, that your crops come from, I'm going to smite this earth with a plague of lies. Osiris, it's said about you that your veins, your blood veins, that's the river Nile. You really believe that bunch of foolishness that Osiris is the one who gave you this river? I'll turn this river into blood. Hecate, a frog-headed goddess. They believed about her that she was the one who made all of the wombs of the Egyptian, Egyptian women fertile and broad. And God said, if you really believe this frog-headed goddess is the one who brings life to the womb of a woman, I'm going to give you a plague of frogs. Brothers and sisters, I could walk you through all nine plagues and show you that when God showed up in the land of Egypt to exact judgment, it was never meant against his people, but it was actually for the people. For the people, you better believe it. And here's how it was for the people. Because God didn't use the plagues to get them out of Egypt. He was using the plagues to get Egypt out of them to show them he is the only source that matters. He's the source of life, increase, and blessing. There is no other God but our God. Come on. He is the only one who sets high and looks low. And the Bible said in the book of Isaiah that he is the lofty one who inhabits eternity. And that's why Jesus can make the claim that he's Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. They ain't nobody like him. He's bad all by himself. And he is a father to you if you will receive him that way. That's who he is. Ah against all of the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And those plagues that came, those judgments that came, brothers and sisters, it was never meant to be a detriment to the people. It was meant to be for the people, to show them that there's one true living way. He is God and he is God alone. And his son is Jesus Christ. And it don't matter if it's a money need. It don't matter if it's a healing need. It don't matter what the need is. You won't find it in the gods in this world system, which there may be judgment come up on the world system. There's a lot of talk about the coming judgment of God, the coming judgment of God. It ain't coming for the people. It's coming for the systems to turn the people to him. God don't have no problem judging the systems. Because the systems put God's people, even God's people, in bondage that He wants to deliver them out of. So we can conclude by saying that even the judgments of God, they are good. Even the judgments of God, they are good. Stand on your feet right there and I'll unplug. Man, I mean, I feel that, and I've, it's, I've, I've been in it before I even got here. Just the anointing flowing in me. There is an anointing on this room to receive this word on the goodness of God. And if you'll receive this word on God's goodness, 
what happens is that it swallows up all of the badness. Well, if God's so good, why is there poverty? Why is there death? Why is there suffering children? Why is there all of these things in the land? That don't have, can I say it real country-like? I don't have nary a thing to do. My granny used to say it all the time. Nary a thing. Nary a thing to do with the goodness of God. You know what that has to do with? Dumb choices of men. Check your head, amen, this way. It's important to understand that because there's all of these accusations that the enemy will come to us with to try and make us question the goodness of our Father. Sickness, death, betrayal. Those are the, are the big ones that can make us question God's goodness. But again, here's the goodness of God. It's not that God said, I'm going to take control. Can I make a statement right here and you not throw your Bible at me? We say, well, God's in control. God's in control. If God really took control of everything, do you think there would be rape and pillage, hurting children? Now listen to me, I, I know God's sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, I, I, I know all of that, but you need to get hold of Psalms 116 verse 15 or Psalms 115 verse 16, either one. Check them both out, they'll probably be good for you. But here's what it says, that the heavens, even the heavens belong to God. Don't ever, don't ever forget this. But the earth has He given to the children of men. The heavens, even the heavens belong to God, but He's given this earth to us. How we steward this earth, our possession that He has given us, which by the way, this thing has never belonged to the devil and his crowd. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, Romans 8 says. We are heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm trying to quit. We need to take some responsibility for what's going on in this earth and use the power of Christ within and His goodness to change it and quit playing the blame game. Because as long as we play the blame game, it's going to keep on going. But we need to establish kingdom jurisdiction everywhere we go and, ex and execute some, some judgments out of His goodness and turn some of this stuff in the earth. Hallelujah. Don't allow bad situations to make you question God's goodness because that's just like the serpent to use lies to try and sway your opinion about your heavenly father we stretch across the aisle and just put your hand on somebody and then we're going to have do we have a Miss Beverly do we have a prayer team that will be up here at the end of service as we dismiss if you need individual prayer or personal ministry We'll have a prayer team up here and that can be your altar call. But I like for everybody to put a hand on somebody because Jesus will say things like in Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe they lay hands on the sick they shall recover. It didn't say these signs shall follow preachers. It said those who believe. So if you're a believer in this room, by the power of the Christ within, there's power that can flow through your hands. So to the person to the left of you, the brother, the sister, to the right of you, you're laying hands on them today. And whatever the need may be because of the corporate anointing in this room, the provision for that need is here. 
And so by faith, we're going to receive it. Father, we thank you that the anointing flows. And Lord, today, as we have received revelation knowledge of your goodness, we are so thankful that our faith is elevated. Hey, our faith is elevated in this room to believe that no matter what our situation is, that you are good and you want to intervene in it. So Lord, whether it's a problem in somebody's body in their marriage, in their finances, whatever it may be, I thank you in Jesus' name that there is a flow of the anointing in this room, bringing healing and deliverance and restoration. So our God will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory. Lord, I thank you that there won't be one brother or sister leave this room with a deficit in their life, but they, re, they leave receiving every good thing that heaven has to offer. Lord, thank you for this great people. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for our leaders. Thank you for this team. Lord, I thank you that what you're doing through them that we're recipients of the blessing of that. We're very humbled by that. And Lord, we believe that great days are ahead for the people of Redemption Life Church. Good days are ahead. And today we claim them and lay hold on them in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, say amen. Look at the person beside of you. Tell them you love them. You're glad that they're here. And if you need special prayer ministry, come on, come on down. God bless you. Thank you for your attentiveness. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Redemption Life Church.